from Taos, New Mexico, where the sun is shining. It's cold, some puffy clouds in the air up there in the sky. I think it went down to 38 last night. Mm -hmm. It's coming, it's here. <laughs> I hear there's snow up high in the mountains. I can't see the mountains behind uh, the mountains I can see, which I understand there's some snow back there already. which is good. The more snow in the mountains, the more moisture we get down at 7,000 feet, which is where Taos is. So I'd like to begin by um, just, just uh, briefly, everyone introducing themselves, say your name, and let us know where you're coming from, where you are right now, where we're seeing you, where we're meeting with you from. So maybe we'll, I don't know if everybody's screen looks the same. I'm up at the top. Probably not. Don't quite know how to do this in an orderly fashion. So I think maybe we'll start, Carol, you start, and then just speak up. We'll just move along quickly with each person. Yeah, so everybody will need to unmute themselves um, before they before they speak. I'm Carol Meckling and I'm uh, on the island of Kauai. Mm -hmm. Good morning. She's our manager. She's our retreat manager. All the way out there in the very early morning of Hawaii. Okay, go ahead. Um, I'm Edith Reese. I'm Whoops. Susan. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was right next to Carol. Um, I'm Susan Barhili and Monty and I are here and we live in Georgetown, Texas. And I'd love to be here with you. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Right ahead. Um, I'm, I'm Mark Bluestein, and I live in Crestone, Colorado. Uh -huh. Andrea Campbell, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Edith Wallen, Seattle. Richard, John, John Reynolds from Fort Collins, Colorado. Jean Smith in Taos, New Mexico. Jean Hurley Cosby. I'm from Boston, Mass., but today I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, uh-huh. Richard, Buena Vista, Colorado. Good morning, everyone. My name is Elisa. I'm from Los Angeles, but I am in a little town called Groveland, right out of Orlando outside of Orlando, Florida today. Oh. <laughs> Seminole land. Uh-huh. Oh, great. Good Hi, morning. I'm Joanna, and I'm from Tampa Bay area in Florida. Hi. I'm Dami Rolls, and I'm from Ashland, Oregon. Hi, I'm Wesley. I'm coming from Massachusetts. I'm Liliana and I'm in Lama Mountain in Northern New Mexico. Michael, Memphis, Tennessee. Jeremy. Go ahead, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy in Berkeley, California. <coughs> Hi, 
I'm Teresa, and I'm on Tongwa land in Los Angeles. I'm Edla Anderson. I'm from El Prado. We didn't hear you, Edla. Okay. Say it again. El Prado, New Mexico. Good morning. Hi. I'm, I'm, I'm Ravi from La Lama, New Mexico, about 25 miles north of Taos. And we can see the snow on the mountains joyously. <laughs> I'm Christine. I'm from Palm Springs, and it's still warm here. Hot. Hot. In my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm Batya from Israel, and it's virtually summer here. <laughs> Still waiting for the first train this year. Didn't come yet. And uh, looking forward for this retreat. There's a few left. Introduce oh, yourself. I'm Olivia. I, I'm in Guelph, Ontario. That's Canada. And... Uh, it's kind of warm here today and rainy, but comfortable. Uh -huh. I'm Carol uh, in Denver. And I'm Mike in Denver with Carol. I'm Jackie, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Eleanor doesn't have a camera or microphone, but she says hello from Canada. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Anybody else who hasn't said? Sila, we didn't hear from you. Um, yeah, I, me and Jeremy crashed. Oh. Anyway, um, Sila from Taos. Is that everybody? Did anybody not speak? Anybody not introduce themselves? Um, yeah, Michael. Go ahead, Mike. Michael. I'm Michael Delaney from just outside Ojo Caliente. And the weather here is beautiful. I like it cold. <laughs> Somebody else, please. Who else was going to speak? Um, I'm I'm Dami from Ashland, Oregon. I don't know if that came through. It and did. We, okay, and we had our first snow also this last week. Oh, not in Ashland, but in the mountains. Yeah, uh-huh. Exciting. So I think everybody did. We leave anybody leave themselves out? Judith and uh, Ivar, did you introduce yourself? Brother Tree, I still call you. Uh, yeah, uh, Tree or, or Ivor, uh, the land of the Warm Springs Indians. We're up in the mountains. We've had our second snow already. Hopefully we'll get more. Bend, Oregon. And I'm Judith in Bend, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Is there anybody else that left themselves out? Okay. So we're, we're all here. There's one person that um, wasn't able to come and be with us this morning. And she lives in Boston and her, she will be here next week. 
Her name is Yin Kui Chuang. And she will join with us next, uh, next Sunday. <clears throat> so I'd like to, um, it would be good. Did you mute everybody, Carol? Everybody is, um, is muted, let's see, except for uh, Judith and Brother Tree. Right, okay. So maybe um, everybody should be muted now. Just allows the sound to be, as I, when I'm speaking, it allows the sound to be uh, more audible. And there'll be a time when we will uh, unmute each other, but uh, not just yet. So I'd like to give you a, uh, an outline, we could say, uh, uh, of how our, our Sunday meetings will be going starting today for, and for eight Sundays in a row, including today. Um, we won't do our introductions every week. Uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, orient us to each other as a Sangha today and a Sangha that is spread out over uh, all over the place. <laughs> but here we are all together in, in this uh, kind of unique and kind of strange way. I've gotten used to it, but it is a bit strange still, <laughs> but I'm glad we can be together. So we will start uh, promptly at 10 o'clock and I may say a few words, but we will every Sunday, except for today, because of what we've just done, We'll start with our sitting meditation. The sitting meditation will be approximately 45 minutes. Today, it'll be a little bit shorter because of the introductions. And each of our sitting meditations uh, at each Sunday will be partially guided. And the reason that they'll be partially guided is because we'll be focusing specifically on one of the factors of enlightenment each week. So the first part of the sit will be guided. After we sit for 40 to 45 minutes, there'll be uh, about 10 minutes of uh, stretching or walking meditation. So I hope you have a place where you are either inside or outside, if it's the weather uh, uh, cooperative, to do about 10 minutes of walking meditation, uh, or of course, stretching is fine. Mindful stretching is also fine. And then after that, each week, I will offer a Dhamma reflection for about 45 minutes. And then following the Dhamma reflection, We'll have about three minutes <laughs> for stretching, just to move your body around. You'll have been sitting still for a while. And so stretching, standing, moving your body, stretching your limbs for just a few minutes. And then we'll all sit down together again. And we'll have approximately 30 minutes of time for Q&A and discussion each week. And uh, I feel that's why I limited the number of people coming to this so that we actually have an opportunity with 30 people, uh, or actually there'll be 31 um, 
people to actually have some discussion together, some sharing questions, uh, exploration, dhamma, dhamma talk together, because we learn a lot from each other. And if there were uh, twice this many people, <laughs> it makes it very difficult to have any kind of uh, a shared uh, exploration with a discussion. So that's the general rhythm for each Sunday. Uh, and just, just uh, uh, briefly, are there any questions? Does anybody have any questions about it, about anything I've just said? Doesn't look like it. Okay. So again, a little bit, uh, uh, different this morning than it will be uh, for all of the other Sunday mornings um, or Sunday, it's not morning everywhere, Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings, depending where you are. I'd like to just offer a, a few words this morning about our explanation or exploration uh, of these seven factors. Or, or maybe more accurately, these seven capacities, these seven qualities of the mind and the heart that lead to awakening. These, these seven capacities of heart and mind were conceived uh, by the Buddha, not as factors as they're traditionally called, or that's how it's translated, the factors of awakening. Um, but they were conceived by the Buddha uh, as qualities of the heart, qualities of the mind, capacities of the mind that constitute awakening, that constitute enlightenment. They're qualities of our being, really the actual better translation of it, they are, they are qualities or capacities of our being that lead to awakening, that lead to enlightenment. And it's shown to us pretty clearly through our practice by the sequential way that they arise. And so we can say that it's through the assemblage of these seven qualities or these seven factors that one is rendered awake. That one rises from the sleep, so to say, of the continuum of the defilements that one rises from the sleep of the continuum of the mind, the heart's contraction because of the uh, unwholesome uh, energies that plague us as humans. And just a list of these, uh, it's a long list, I've shortened it to some degree. Greed, hatred, delusion, conceit, what is traditionally called speculative views or what I uh, often call imaginary views, skeptical doubt, a mental torpor and its opposite, restlessness. And then two uh, unwholesome energies that are rooted in unconscientiousness, a lack of what is traditionally called a lack of moral dread, 
and a lack of moral fear. Again, these are both rooted in what I like to consider, and I think it makes it understandable or more understandable, is unconscientiousness. And, and on the other hand, the very beautiful and wholesome capacities of the heart and mind that are cultivated through our diligent practice of these factors, mindfulness, investigation, effort, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These seven capacities of our mind, of our heart, that the Buddha described them as the natural qualities that constitute a proper spiritual practice. And these seven qualities counter the contracted sleep of the defilements the unwholesome energies that plague the heart and mind. These natural qualities, these wholesome and beautiful natural qualities are what lead us towards an awakened clarity of presence. So now, uh, Let's start our, our practice time together. So sit yourself comfortably. Maybe on a cushion, on the floor, in a chair, maybe on a couch. And I think there's one of you that mentioned to me that you need to practice lying down, which is fine. If that's what you need to do, then. Go for that. And settling in. Settling into your meditation spot, settling into your body as it settles in to the meditation place. One of my Burmese monastic teachers, Saida Upandita, used to say, most people think that everything begins here. And then he would point to and then tap on his head. And then he would follow that by saying, but I've been checking for a really long time. And I found that everything begins here. And then he would pat and thump his chest at the heart center. Everything begins here at the heart center.
And the great Indian meditation master and teacher Krishnamurti had uh, another way of expressing this same thing. He said, it's not an intellectual affair, but when the heart enters into the mind, the mind has quite a different quality. This meditation can't be learned from another. You must begin without knowing anything about it and move from innocence to innocence. And so beginning our first mini retreat sit with a few moments of closing your eyes and visualizing and or, and or sensing <clears throat> that you're sitting under the Bodhi tree with Siddhartha Gautama 2,500 years ago. Offering yourself the possibility of letting the words be a touch point, a pointing out towards connecting with each one, or at least some of the factors of awakening within yourself, as I offer some guidance at the beginning of our sit. And this is facilitated by what I like to term as listening from the heart rather than listening from the head. So taking a moment now to relax deeply into and through the body from head to toe. Dropping into the body with a clear and bright attention and letting this attention move through the body. Deeply relaxed and brightly alert at the same time. The whole body mind and heart, relaxing into hearing. Ear doors open, heart center open.
towards the end of that long and now famous night under the bow tree. And after Mara, the personification of all the dark and potentially destructive forces in the mind had let fly the poison arrows of greed, aversion and delusion at Siddhartha Gautama. The arrows that Mara hoped would stick and then distract Siddhartha from the clarity and strength of his great vow and his courageous determination to fully awaken. Mara shot the last arrow that was left in the quiver, the arrow of doubt, self-doubt, accompanied by these words. What makes you think you have the right to be sitting here where and how you are? Just who do you think you are anyway? The Bodhisatta, the just about to be Buddha, balanced with the deep power and cool ease of an unwavering and undistracted mind, protected within the great strength of his mindful presence, which was enlivened by a keen interest and a penetrating sense of investigation that was accompanied by clear discernment. This about to be Buddha, supported by the tremendous energy of his determination and the flow of an effortless effort, imbued with an enlivening and refreshing joy. Siddhartha Gotama sitting under the bow tree that night with unshakable stability, with an evenness and balance of receptive presence as though he were an immovable mountain. With all of these qualities, all of these factors of mind and heart perfectly in place. In response, to Mara's challenge. The Bodhisattva with his amazing grace, he simply reached down and touched the earth with the fingertips of his right hand, letting Mara know that the earth was bearing witness to his right to be sitting where and how he was. And Mara was defeated, never again to have any power over the Buddha, the about-to-be Buddha.
And so we said, maybe not always quite exactly like the Buddha said on that night 2,500 years ago, but we said, we practice with sincerity and with determination here in this mini retreat and other times during our life. We sit with dedication and with aspiration. And as we practice, the particular qualities of heart and mind that were all so perfectly in place within Siddhartha that night under the bow tree, as we practice, these capacities of heart and mind continue to develop, to deepen, and to mature within ourselves. And so continuing with our sitting meditation now, silently. And today the primary anchor of your relaxed and bright attention is the breath. The movement of the breath in the belly or the sensations of the in and out breath in the area of the nostrils. Allowing this experience of breath to be the anchor of your attention. And also being receptive and mindful of other bodily sensations that arise, that sustain in whatever way and for however long, change, disappear. And remembering to return to your anchor, the anchor of the breath in the belly, the movement and sensations of the breath in the belly or the sensations of the breath in the area of the nostrils and upper lip. I will ring a bell at the end of our set.
continuing to relax, allowing the mind and heart to be bright, attentive. Mindfully present with the sensations of the in-breath, the movement of the in-breath in the belly, or the sensations of the in and the out-breath in the area of the nostrils and upper lip, the sensations of the in and out-breath in the belly, or the upper lip nostril area, your anchor of attention. Embodied presence. Mindful embodied presence. not getting caught up and lost or swept away into the stories. The word stories or the image stories that might show up. Acknowledging, recognizing, and letting them be. Breath by breath. The breath breathing itself. not trying to control or manipulate it. Connecting with the mindful attention. Right here, right now.
offering yourself the gift of a simple presence. Offering yourself the great gift of a relaxed, mindful, simple, present moment connection. Embodied. Breath by breath. Sensation by sensation. With these experiences just as they are.
Remember to start fresh. Remember to start again, anytime. Relaxing the body, the heart, the mind. bringing attention to the sensations of the breath where it's most clearly felt for you. Embodied mindfulness. The first part. Of the factor of the first factor. The first place. of presence, mindfulness, the first factor of awakening. Mindfulness of the body.
Starting, <clears throat> starting fresh.
in this moment. Again and again. May all of the wholesome energies and fruits that manifest through our practice serve with immeasurable impartiality without bias, without prejudice, towards the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings everywhere. So now, moving to your walking area, 
inside or outside or your stretching area. Do move your body in some way and stay mindful. And 10 minutes, you have 10 minutes. So you'll have to keep track of the time to some degree. And in 10 minutes, we'll gather back together again.
Well, welcome back. And we'll begin with some Dhamma reflection. So again, sitting yourself comfortably, relaxed, receptive. Ear doors open. Like an elephant, wide open. This awakening process that we're uh, involved with through the teachings and the practices as, as taught by the Buddha, it has many facets, many ebbs and flows, many seasons. In our movement towards and our yearning for awakening, our yearning for enlightenment, we might think and maybe hope that we'll get to a state of unfluctuating perfection. And just then simply reside in this state that we think will completely and totally solve the problem of the unrelenting change that permeates and constantly stirs our life. But as Zen teacher John Sutherland says, if we see that we're do what we're doing as awakening, if we see what we're doing as awakening, something that unfolds over a lifetime, we understand that each of us is somewhere in the middle of a long walk through varied terrain. Then our task is to stay alive to the changes in that terrain and to trust the path as it appears before us rather than to try to impose our map on it. And then she goes on to say, in welcoming awakenings, seasonal transformations, we discover a greater truth that shows us a new way of trusting the very change we once thought was a problem. So as we continue to engage in our practice, we learn to trust 
water, sometimes the harsh, purifying, though often very clear, crystalline process of practice. It kind of sometimes feels like the winter snow that eventually strips clean and purifies and covers everything, creating a very cool, clear brightness. In our practice, this is the experience and the wisdom of equanimity. And in this, we learn to love everything. When spring comes forth through our practice, we experience the energy and the exuberance of seeing, sensing, and knowing the clarity of the distinctions of and between things. Along with the specific beauty of each thing. In the springtime of our practice, we learn to love everything, each thing. We learn to love each thing for itself. And we keep on keeping on with our practice, with our life as our practice. Through all the ebbs and the flows, through the seasons of awakening, coming to know and trusting that we're continuing to walk the way, we're continuing to walk the path. The seven factors of awakening are a clear and effective assemblage of teachings and practices offered by the Buddha that when taken up with heartfelt interest and diligence, they lead us clearly towards awakening as we continue walking along through all of the ebbs and the flows, as we continue walking along through all of the seasons of the path. Over these eight weekly mini retreats, we'll be touching into and exploring these factors from two particular, two related perspectives. That of our direct experience and our cultivation or prompting, we could say, of these qualities through our ongoing practice. And the great power of protection and healing that these factors bring as they take root and as they develop. And we'll also touch into these factors from the perspective of the experience of their unfabricated, unprompted presence as aspects of the mind, aspects of the heart of non-clinging, as aspects of the liberated heart, the liberated mind. The Buddha taught the seven factors of enlightenment from the standpoint of them being like seven precious gems. And it's said that during the time of the Buddha, with giving a dedicated and a 
concentrated attention to the teachings of these factors and also in the recitation of them. It's said that certain degrees of protection and kinds of healing were experienced. In one of the short suttas from the Samyutta Nikaya, it's said that once when the Buddha was quite gravely ill, he asked the venerable Mahakunda to recite the seven factors of enlightenment to him. And it's said in the sutta that in such a way was the Buddha cured of his illness. There are two categories of these factors, two categories of these awakening factors. The first are called activating. And these are the discrimination of states or investigation, energy, and joy. These qualities or these activating factors are to be cultivated when the mind is sluggish. As when one feeds a small fire with dry sticks and dry, sticks and dry grass to make it blaze up. The other category of these awakening factors are the restraining factors. And they emerge, usually emerge later. They emerge usually after the activating factors. And these are tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These factors are to be cultivated when the mind is very excited. As one sprinkles a bonfire with wet grass and water to reduce it, to tame it. Now, the one factor that isn't included in the activating or the restraining factors is mindfulness. Mindfulness doesn't belong in either category. Why? Because it's necessary and useful everywhere, everywhere all the time, everywhere. In relation to the activating and the restraining qualities of the various factors, mindfulness particularly ensures that they're kept in balance. In light of the practice of these seven enlightenment factors, as they're developed and established, they're the antithesis of all forms of ill will, strong sensual desire, sloth and torpor, restlessness, regret, shame, and doubt. These all being our primary obstacles to progress in developing focused attention, concentration, and insight. When we blindly buy, when we blindly take up and identify with these hindrances, as they're classically called, they weaken understanding and they block or close the heart 
block or close the mind. On the other hand, these seven factors of awakening, each in their own way, and as they work together, are really our greatest assets in leading to understanding and to liberation. The Buddha compared the hindrances to corruptions of gold. He compared them to the trees in the forest that are filled with parasites. And he compared them to the impurities in water which obscure the reflection of one's face. It's as though they make us blind. And of course, there are expressions in English such as being blinded by anger, being blinded by desire. And as we know, when we're unmindfully getting caught up in any of the hindrances, they can very quickly and very easily distract us from the path and the practices of awakening. The seven factors of enlightenment, the seven factors of awakening, on the other hand, are makers of vision, makers of understanding, and incredibly great and beautiful aids along the path to awakening. And so we, we begin our exploration, our, our Dhamma reflection today with the overarching, amazing awakening factor of mindfulness. No matter who we are, where or how we live, every single one of us want happiness. Most of us want our lives to be, or most of us want much of our experience in life to be ongoing, permanent, or at least deeply fulfilling, or suit our passing fancy, suit our expectations, meet our expectations, meet our heartfelt and deepest desires. So consequently, most people spend most of their time and energy trying to find this, trying to get this, trying to satisfy these deep desires outside of themselves through various external experiences, such as getting this or getting that, or getting him or getting her, doing this and that, going here and going there. Or we try to find, we try to get ongoing contentment and happiness and fulfillment through the constantly, constantly changing world of our senses. And through the various and myriad constantly changing relationships that go on throughout our lives. Well, the news from the Buddha is and maybe you know this news yourselves, it's not possible. 
So look closely, look really closely. Come close and see and feel your experience directly. The Buddha spoke about happiness beyond our ordinary experiences of pleasure. He said that happiness arises when we're mindful. That's a radical statement. Happiness arises when we're mindful. Our meditation practice cultivates mindfulness. Mindfulness happens, we could say, when we really truly bring our attention to the present moment. And we learn this by practicing it over and over and over again, moment by moment by moment. This is a practice of the very deepest intimacy. The intimacy of a direct connection with the immediacy of experience in our body, heart, and mind. The deepest intimacy with our own experiences which as practice develops, as it expands and matures, becomes an intimacy, a kind of profound intimacy actually with all beings, with all things. The direction of mindfulness is to be aware, be intimately aware of it, whatever it is in the moment. See and know what is, what really, truly is. How is it in this present moment? In this present moment? In this present moment? Essentially, this is what all forms of Buddhist practice lead to. How is it in experiencing the I? E-Y-E, ear, nose, tongue, touch, mind. How is it really? Not what you hope it is, or not what you want it to be, and not what you don't want it to be. A mindful relationship to the present moment's experience is what allows clarity and really true understanding, insight to arise, to just simply and very naturally arise, which it inevitably does. We don't have to do anything to make it happen. The truth actually is not far away at all. It's right here, ever present, immediately close always and everywhere, intimately, right here, right now. And it's our greatest, greatest protection. Quite a number of years ago now, I was teaching a, a weekly class <clears throat> here in Taos on mindfulness. And each week, uh, uh, the people engaged in the class would come in and they would say a little bit about what, would hap what happened during the week just prior to this particular class uh, regarding their practice and how it showed up for them. So one week, a woman came in 
And she said, this morning I was watering my garden. I've watered my garden hundreds of times, but this morning it felt like I was watering my garden for the very first time. And then she said, how have we survived so long without being mindful? She went on, terrible, terrible things are done when, out with, when mindfulness isn't present. Well, we all took just a couple of moments after that to digest that. The Buddha Dhamma is about transforming the mind, transforming the heart. And so we practice, we develop, we prompt this transformation through meditation practice. Meditation that's based in mindfulness. In fact, if we're not mindful, if we're not bringing our full attention to the present moment, what's happening is that we're living at a distance from experience, living at a distance from life itself, we could say. Just, and this just keeps the circle, keeps the cycle of conditioned habit patterns, habit reaction patterns going around and around and around. It feeds and strengthens these patterns. And we're kind of on automatic. We're running on automatic. We're kind of robot-like, sort of like our computers. You know, you push the button and out comes what's already in there. When our buttons are pushed, out pops our conditioned patterns, out pops our conditioned reactions automatically. Another way to look at it, it's as though we're living through binoculars that are out of focus. Our perspective, our per perception is blurred. What does that mean? Well, we're experiencing life through all of the filters of ideas and preconceptions and opinions and judgments and past similar or past experiences, similar past experiences. So for instance, a kind of ordinary experience that probably most of you have had you meet someone new, but you don't see them as they actually are. You see them maybe in relationship to what you're thinking about them, how much you think you like them or how much you're attracted to them or, or how much you're not attracted to them or how much you think you don't like them. Or maybe this new person that you've never met before reminds you of somebody else. So you see this new person in relationship to the similar qualities of this other person that you're thinking about. Or you see this new person in relationship maybe to how you hope they are or what you want from them or what you hope you can get from them or hope you won't get from them. All of this showing us that we're not really experiencing this person that we've just met in themselves. Without mindfulness, everything we perceive is like this. 
Everything we see, eat, hear, touch, smell, think is immediately interpreted back to ourselves in conformity with our habitual thoughts and habit patterns. Meditation practice grounded in mindfulness is about bringing everything into clear, sharp focus to really see things as they truly are, as though for the very first time, without judgment, with a mind, a heart that's fresh, with what's often called beginner's mind. Many years ago now, one of my grandsons, when he was two and a half years old, was taking a walk with myself and his mother down a hill in Pennsylvania where they were living at the time. And he looked down and saw a pine cone. It was the first time he'd ever seen a pine cone. So he picked it up and he was looking at it and turned it every which way. Then he stuck it up to, the, to his nose and he smelled it. Then he stuck out his tongue and he licked it. He was investigating this pine cone for all he was worth. He wanted to know it. And I was watching this. So was his mother. And then a dutiful grandmother and mother, I'm not sure which one of us said this to him. We said, this is a pine cone. And he looked back, at up, back at, up at us, took a little break from his pine cone experience. And he was a good boy, so he repeated pine cone, repeated the words. And then he forgot it or left it, let it go and went back to his direct experience of pine cone. With a mind that was fresh, with beginner's mind. This is a state of mind that we can learn, we can learn or relearn and bring it into our life again. It's transformative. It's transformative and healing. One de definition of the teachings and practices is that they're the best medicine. The best medicine to make us well in the deepest and most profound sense. And one description of, it, of this is that I really like a lot is one who is awakened, one who has taken in the medicine of the teachings and practiced meditation and healed the sickness is one who is freed from suffering. And that's really the very deepest healing we can know. Freedom from the suffering of confusion, the suffering of anguish, freedom from the suffering of fear, freedom from the ongoing wanting that stems from ongoing dissatisfaction. freedom from suffering. I sometimes feel like mindfulness is kind of like a great treasure hunt. Within the framework of practice, we find the way, each of us with our own unique ways, in the midst of our own unique ways, which has to do with our particular specific conditioning. Oh, sorry. Excuse me, I forgot to turn off the phone. A surprise.
Very sorry about that. Oh dear. Oh, hold on a minute again. I'm so sorry. Oh dear. Well, this is life <laughs> in the midst of it here. Sorry. Um, where was I about it talking? Uh, oh yes, the treasure hunt. <laughs> the treasure hunt of mindfulness. Each of us finding the way, finding the treasures in our own unique way which has to do with our particular specific conditioning. So we find, we discover the treasures of the truth, the treasures, what are we discovering? The treasures of the way of things, the really true way of things. Through our own direct experience, we discover the liberating treasures of who we are who we are in the deepest and actually the most perfectly natural ways. The Pali, Pali being the language, the spiritual language at the time of the Buddha, the Pali translation of mindfulness, the word, the Pali word is sati. And it's translated in different ways, but one of the translations I think is, that's quite helpful is sati translated as to remember. And breaking that word down to remember, to connect, to reconnect. Very simple really, but not so easy. If we're aware, if we're really, truly connected and present for a few moments, that's a lot, actually. Mindfulness or remembering is the opposite of forgetfulness. And what happens a lot, I think, for many, many of us is we're mindful for a few moments and then we forget. So one way we could talk about this practice is it's a practice about remembering to remember. I think many of us have a very strong habituated conditioning to not remember, but rather to remain resting in our habits, which means we're remaining resting in a kind of inertia. The mindfulness that the Buddha instructs us toward asks us to not remain resting in our habits, to not remain resting in a kind of inertia, but to really meet the experience of the moment with a fresh connected intimacy, to come close, to come close and see how it is. 
mindfulness doesn't kind of float or sort of skim along the surface of things. It connects with and goes right into the object. And yet at the same time, it's not a fixed or sticky connection. Mindful attention is a very clear, fluid connection that lights on an object just long enough to know it. It's this flavor that allows a really penetrating investigation and a clear comprehension of whatever it connects with. Mindfulness can be called the active aspect of awareness. Mindfulness is a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment's experience. And at its best, it's purely receptive, a purely receptive relationship to whatever phenomena is presenting itself in the present moment. Mindfulness doesn't think I'm doing this or I'm doing that. The moment that we think I'm doing this, we become self-conscious. And we're creating, or we could say recreating a sense of self. We're living in an idea, the idea of I, the idea of me. This factor of the heart-mind mindfulness is about living in the action, living in the present moment's experience. So in a sense, we forget ourself. In a sense, we lose our self, so to say, in what is. And so there's just what is. Without adding anything or without needing to add anything and without taking away anything and without needing to take away anything. And we pay attention to a whole range of experience, things that we normally do quite mechanically, breathing, walking, eating. We pay attention to things that are pleasant. We pay attention to things that are unpleasant. We open to all of it, all that we can know, no parts left out. The very stuff of our lives is our path to liberation. It's not the, well, if only I wasn't so restless. Well, if only I didn't feel so much anger. If only I wasn't sick. If I felt better. If I wasn't so caught, so attached to beautiful things, then I could be mindful. It's not that. We have the possibility of letting go of the stories of the myths that we have about ourselves, the various beliefs that we, that we have about ourselves, what we think we're capable of or what we think we're not capable of, how we define ourselves. We have the opportunity to let go. We have the opportunity to relinquish various beliefs that we have maybe about our bodies, our mind, our emotions. Beliefs that we've probably held onto and stuffed into the closet of our mind. And then just simply pay attention to our experience just as it is in the moment. So simple, really. It's hard to believe that 
really all it takes. Though, as each one of you know, though it's so simple, it's certainly not so easy. I sometimes think of mindfulness as magic. <laughs> it's not the magician's magic, which creates an illusion and, and then pulls us into the illusion, pulls us into the delusion. The magic of mindfulness takes us out of the illusion, out of the delusion, and takes us directly into reality. There are four domains or four establishments of mindfulness, four ways of setting up and establishing mindfulness in the very moment of year and now. And our first domain is paying attention to the body in the body. Just the body as such, not one's feelings or ideas or concerns or emotions about it. And of course, there are many, many and varied aspects of the body to notice and to give a careful attention to. The body's really an excellent meditation subject. It'll always tell the truth. For instance, if you break your leg, the body's not gonna give off a pleasant feeling. It doesn't have the capability to get lost in the past or lost in the future. It's the meditation object that most easily bridges the formal and informal aspects of our meditation practice. And it can often be a safe haven when thoughts and emotions are raging and just too overpowering for us to be with. And as the rapid development of technologies and the increasing pace of our culture makes it more and more difficult to stay connected to our bodies, cultivating the intention to practice with this first foundation of mindfulness becomes more and more important. One of our primary orientations to the body is mindfulness of breathing. And breath as an object of our meditation, our mindful attention is not just a beginner's instruction or a beginning way to practice. The understanding that's accessible via this mode of mindfulness is actually quite potentially profound. We might at times Notice each breath, for instance, each inhalation and each exhalation very directly as sensation or as movement in the area of the body where we're connecting with the breath. And maybe noticing it right when it begins and staying with it all the way through to the end. Actually noticing the ending or the cessation of the breath and then the beginning of the next inhalation. Or we might simply notice the in and out breath by itself, basically just this, in and out, simple. This tends to cultivate an increasingly quiet, tranquil, tranquil and peaceful breath and an overall body and mind quieting.
one of the instructions given to me during a retreat with Sayadaw Upandita, one of my primary Buddhist or uh, Burmese teachers, was let the attention drop into the breath. Mindfully absorb into the rising and falling without any self involved or with as little self as possible. So we can get to notice, are we attempting to control or are we attempting to direct the breath? Can we notice this without judgment, without self-recrimination? In a moment of seeing clearly, there's often relief. As a friend of mine says, seeing is relieving. So mindfulness of the body in the body. Mindfulness of the four postures. Standing, sitting, lying down. Moving. Not our ordinary kind of everyday way of a kind of natural, casual noticing and awareness of our bodily activity, but a very close, intimate, and more constant and careful attention of the body in every position, standing, sitting, lying down, walking, and in all the movements of the body, getting up and down, flexing and extending the arms and the legs, carrying things. Who's moving? Who's lying down? Is there a someone, a me, an I, behind this walking, this standing, this sitting, this movement, beginning to see the postures and the movement of the body just as it is in itself. Can standing simply be known as standing? Sitting is just sitting, walking is simply walking without the layer of I am or the internal feeling of this is me walking, this is me sitting. Once many, many years ago, Saida Upandita asked me, is there a woman or a man or a person when you're mindful of a noting walking, standing, sitting, or any bodily sensations? Well, for just, just a brief moment, I was kind of caught by the question, which in retrospect, I, I understand was a test of my practice at the time. But very quickly, there was a spontaneous reflection, and then a response to the Sayadaw, no, no, there's no woman or man or anybody when I'm really directly connected and mindful of walking or whatever phenomena is happening. So a question maybe you might ask yourself at some point. The posture and the movement of the body are just as dependent or interdependent on conditions, all conditions. They arise dependent on conditions, just as for instance, does the arising of anger or the sensations of coolness on the skin or the liking or the disliking of some particular experience. Choices are made but every choice is a product of the play of various conditions. The next aspect of mindfulness that the, of the body that the Buddha suggests, actually he doesn't suggest it sort of lightly, he directs us towards it, 
is giving attention to what is classically called the 32 parts of the body, such as hair, skin, all the various organs, uh, etc. And of course, we notice those these things. We have, I've no doubt that we do notice many parts of our body in retreat or in our daily life, but how often do we notice them in a really mindful way? How identified, for instance, are we with the hair on our head or the lack of it? Or the hair on our body, for instance? How do we attend to the experiences of our stomach, of the colon, the, di the digestive process, or to a moment or many moments experience of the heart? How do we experience moments in relationship to the skin? This bag of skin that holds all the various contents of the body. How often do we experience our nails, teeth, saliva, sweat, or any part of our body or bodily experience with what I like to call the extraordinary qualities of mindful attention, which are a non-judgmental, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting, non-self-identified kind of attention. Just the body in the body, without the layers of feelings and ideas and concerns and emotions about it. Just the body as a body. The last instruction from the Buddha in relationship to this first establishment of mindfulness is the contemplation of stages of decay in a corpse. Not something we have much of an opportunity to do in a retreat setting such as this, though, though in fact there are various kinds of corpses around to observe at times. For instance, insects, birds, and certainly the corpses of plants and flowers. Yesterday morning, I had an opportunity to very closely observe the corpse of a cat that had been hit by a car right in front of my driveway. All forms of life are mortal. All forms are mortal. They have the nature to die and decompose. So it's possible to observe this directly in some ways. I've been in retreat at various times in various places and quite purposefully observed the process of roses and grasses die and go through all of the changes that things do after they die. It isn't about being morbid or, or strange in some way. Every living form is mortal. And we're so attached to forms, our own form and that of others. So for many of us, our attachment is so strong that most of the time we live with an almost constant and almost unrecognized desire for an attachment to forms that, for instance, please us. Forms that are beautiful to us. Forms that are amusing or maybe interesting to us or simply just the familiar forms. 
And I think what is actually strange and kind of amazing is that we go on thinking and acting as if we and they won't change. As if we and they won't die. Which if we begin to see this habitual way of thinking and acting closely, we find that it produces an almost constant state of subtle or maybe not so subtle tension and stress in us. The Buddha's instructions to attend to corpses of whatever form can actually be very helpful towards cutting through this state of tension and stress, cutting through clinging, cutting through this state of suffering. One of the things that I was most drawn to in my early years of Buddhist exploration was that the teachings and the practices are not a dry intellectual kind of undertaking. And for me, this was very important, not being a particularly intellectual type. The other piece that drew me early on was that the Buddha doesn't ask us to take up a system of belief and then follow it blindly. On the contrary, the topic, so to say, of practice is our self, our own body, heart, mind process. Taking an interest in our body, in our own mind, in our heart is a way to come to understand our own true nature. This was a great appeal to me in my younger years. It was certainly then, and it still is. It's a very lively, potent engagement rather than a dry, cerebral endeavor. And so closing with a, a brief personal story from a long time ago, giving birth, which the first time was to twins, uh, 56 years ago, was my first formal teaching and practice in mindfulness and insight practice. Although it wasn't called that. It was the Lamaze birth training. And it was a training of being fully present, awake and aware in the process that was happening in and of itself, this giving birth process that I was very certainly involved with. Through the training we were told, and during the birthing process itself, I soon discovered that any resistance to the process that was taking place made it extremely uncomfortable. Getting myself out of the way of it, but at the same time being totally, fully present, engaged and aware in the midst of it was very intense. It wasn't easy but it was really quite okay. And it was extremely interesting. And it was truly filled with wonderment. It was a very powerful lesson that obviously I have not forgotten. And that has sustained me through many, many, many years of meditation, Buddhist meditation practice. How do we know the body? How do we know this first foundation, foundation, this first establishment of mindfulness? 
and closing the talk with a, a quote from Rumi. Don't try to be the sun. Be a dust mode, lunar moth. Love the candle, taste your life. Put your shoes on, upside down. Let's just sit for a moment quietly. And thank you for listening to the Dhamma. And thank you for your practice. So, and stretch your body for a moment. Stand up if you need to, sit back down, move your arms around. Stretch your neck, your head. Some people like to open their mouth really wide. Close it again, that feels good. Stretching the face, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. <clears throat> so we don't have as long today as we will in the subsequent uh, uh, weekly mini retreats. Um, for our discussion because we had uh, the introductions at the beginning and some other uh, information to cover. So uh, we have about 15 minutes, which isn't really long enough, but we will have more time as the, as the retreats go on. For um, any questions, uh, anything you'd like to share regarding your, your experience today, that's always a great thing to do. Um, and uh, it's not crosstalk, so it's not that kind of a discussion at this point. We may be able to have some more crosstalk type uh, exploration in the subsequent weeks, but not today because we don't have very long. So you can unmute yourselves if you're going to speak. If everybody unmutes and someone starts to speak, it seems to kind of mess up the, the Zoom uh, uh, audio. I don't know anything about why, but it does seem to mess it up. So if you wanna speak, unmute and say your name, please say your name so we can locate you on our screen and we have our sense of connection with our Sangha here. And you're welcome to speak. Usually takes one courageous person to start the process of speaking. Seems to give permission to others to also speak. So, May that courageous person step forward and share something from today, your experience. If you have a question, uh, keep it keep it dhamma oriented, please. I don't want to get into philosophical discussions. That's not where we're going with these discussions. So, Marcia, it's Marcia, Marcia. Yes, dummy, my dummy. Yes, dummy. Um. I 
uh, your, your Dhamma talk, thank you very much. It, it's um, very helpful to go over these things over and over and over. Um, <laughs> I was on a hike yesterday, as I do many days in my life, and there seems to always come that moment when I just, happiness bubbles up and I say, I am happy. Mm -hmm. And it's not related to anything particular that I do. Um, it's an accumulation of just being in the walking mode is mm -hmm. the way I can describe it. And yet I've also had a moment that I remember like you were talking about the Lamas um, when I was hiking in the Himalayas um, where I had what I would call an awakening of this is how it is. And there's a sudden aha moment of something that I've maybe wondered about or struggled with. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, if that's what we do here, but um, I see those two as, um, well, I suppose different experiences with different forms of mindfulness. Is that correct? If you were mindful during those experiences, <laughs> it sounds like you were, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, um, so I, I guess the question I have when I have that aha moment, um, yes, that is mindful. I, I suppose that's a that's just another experience. Then, as I'm talking to you, that's coming to me. Uh, mm -hmm. Another experience, as as is the I am happy moment. That's an experience too, mm -hmm. as well. That's yes, not clinging. What I want to respond to you with is don't cling to those. Uh -huh. We have many levels, all of us have had many levels of various aha moments, insight, we could call it, psychological insights, spiritual insights, um, more superficial, deeper insights uh, uh, over our lifetime and certainly through our practice. Uh, we also have probably all of us have had those moments in different, uh, different, at different points along the way in our life of just feeling buoyantly happy. We've all had those. We know those. The, the thing is, it is as you came around to, as you were speaking about these things, it's just an experience. And I don't negate it by saying just. No. It is an experience. It's gone. It informs us, sometimes in deep ways, sometimes in more superficial ways. It, it, uh, it is healthy. It is uh, uh, enlivening. But the clinging to it is uh, detrimental. And actually clinging to it negates it over in, in a certain way. So can we recognize these these moments of bright light, so to say. It's a moment, it's a moment in time. It's a moment's experience and go on. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I like that, you know, just mm -hmm. uh, as you're saying, we're just on a path and the next mm -hmm. moment is something else. Yeah, it's I'm going, is. step by step. <laughs> Breath, yes. breath, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Jean? 
Thank you so much, Marcy. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Um, I, I had an aha experience today. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with your using the word intimacy mm -hmm. and intimate and thinking about the barriers to being intimate with my life. Mm -hmm. But it was that word which really, really got to me. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing that I was thinking about was, I don't know, sometime in the recent past, you asked, what do you need to be really happy? Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and I realized that I have absolutely everything I need to be happy mm -hmm. as long as I don't cling to it. Mm -hmm. There so, you go, Jean. Thank you so much, Marcia. Thank you, Jean. I, I'm just going to say, there you go, Jean. That's my comment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Robbie, you wanted to speak. Uh, yes, please. Hello. Good morning. I'm Ravi. Um, I wanted to ask you something, Marcia. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some of you know my wife gets to work with TMH and gets to work with you personally, Marcia. Mm -hmm. And she related a story um, to Let me. Let me just say, I want to interrupt you. Kathy, who you all have had connection with, uh, who writes you emails and uh, is the uh, the breath of the mountain hermitage, we could say. That's his wife, Kathy. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. mm. But um, what I want I wanted to ask you about um, an experience you had in uh, mindfulness of the body that is. Uh, to me, so extreme, something that my, I guess, habitual mind has, has trouble approaching. Um, because, I mean, mindfulness, when the ebbs and flows are kind of mellow is one thing, but I want to ask you to speak about it in an extreme example. And specifically, I'm referring to when she accompanied you to have a shoulder replaced. Yes, and because because of your allergies to medications, you did it without painkillers and utilized practice to those doctors. And I think it blew their minds a little bit. Well, the anesthesiologist was a little bit surprised. Let's put it that way. The surgeons didn't really the surgeon didn't really comment much. I did have some. Uh, anesthetic. It was not none. Okay. Very minor and very small amount to take a little bit of the edge off. Yes. What, what, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's, it's forced what upon was, me. What was it like? What was it? <laughs> just, you just, what was your experience? Uh -huh. I do have a Dhamma talk when I talk about getting a root canal without any anesthetic at all. Uh, and I breathe through it. I concentrate, uh, and I. Some of you have heard that Dhamma talk, uh, or that part of that Dhamma talk. It's forced upon me. You know, I. I I'm severely uh, allergic to to the anesthetics, so I can't have it. 
it would probably kill me. So I, I want to stay alive. I'm not quite ready yet to, to be killed by anesthetic, you know. So um, how is it? <clears throat> intense. It's intense. But what I have found <clears throat> is that if I focus, if my concentration is focused on just what is being experienced, embodied for the most part, and not wandering around, not commenting, not uh, judging, not uh, uh, story making, etc., but just with what is, it's actually okay. It can be quite an intense, say, physical sensation. Um, but it's nothing solid. If I'm really, really focused on how it is, it's changing rapidly. It's coming and going. It's not solid. It's a sort of second by second by second experience of, of, of whatever it is. And it's totally okay. I mean, it, it's hard to stay that present. And I would notice, particularly with my root canal, if my mind started to wander towards the intensity of the sensation of the, what the dentist was doing with a comment, then it almost felt unbearable what, what, what I was experiencing. And then I'd recognize that and come back immediately to just what was happening and it was fine. It was totally okay. It, it takes a tremendous amount of ener energy and focus of attention and utterly mindful presence without elaborating commentary, judgment, etc. With what Kathy experienced or saw with the shoulder replacement surgery, which is, you know, an extremely uh, major uh, surgical procedure, uh, uh, <laughs> one of the things that, it, it, that happened with me with what would have been probably pretty intense pain, I think I know which part she was referring to that she might have told you about that was so surprising and that the anesthesiologist was, he actually came in to look at me because he, she called him in and he he wanted to see what this was like with me, what I was like in the midst of this. I, it was so intense when they removed the, I forget what it's called, the something they put in that, that, that they only left it in for a little while because I couldn't tolerate it. I mean, my body didn't like it. It stops the pain, it, it manages the pain, but I couldn't keep it there for very long. But the pain was probably so intense once they took it out. And I was just so focused and breathing, I started to see all kinds of colors. And I was saying it out loud. I was saying it out loud. Kathy was in the room with her mouth kind of so open. And that's when she went and called in the anesthesiologist. Because I was, my experience was there was an intense sensations going on in my body, but I was so concentrated on it focused on it, that wasn't my, my primary experience was all these different colors were 
my, were moving through my mind. And I was saying them out loud, naming them. Well, you know, <laughs> what to say. It got me through it, you know, and I was doing the best I could. And uh, that's what happened. <laughs> that was pretty unusual. And uh, I don't know if I, it would happen again or not. It wasn't like something I was making happen. I wasn't even, I wasn't even aware that it was unusual. It was just what my experience, I wasn't commenting on it. I wasn't judging it. I wasn't, uh, I was just being, just being. Uh, but it has to do with a, a, a focused attention, a clear, immediate, direct, focused attention on just what is. All that, you know, I've to some degree talked about in this recent, uh, uh, the, the Dhamma reflection that I just offered. So that's as much as I, I can say about it. Thank you. So we're at, we're at a time, I think it's 1230 now, this is the end of our of our uh, time together today. So I wanna thank you all for being present with, the, with all of us, being present with each other. This is really quite an incredible song, I have to say. You're really an amazing group of practitioners. Keep practicing. And uh, we will meet again next Sunday, morning for some, afternoon for some, and evening for some. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I just want to repeat, I think you all know this to some degree, all of these, this is being recorded. The audio part, <coughs> Carol, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Carol still here? I'm sure she is somewhere. Yes. Yep. I'm here. Okay. Uh, the audio part will be available within 48 hours through the um, Google uh, part of this uh, of of what of this. I'm I'm not good at this language. You know, I don't know. What, I I don't even know how to say it. But it will be available to all of you only. It is not available to the public at this point. So everything that we have uh, uh, done and said, all of us will is being recorded and will be available for you to re-listen to as you would like to. And it will be up in the Google thing, whatever that Google thing is, <laughs> within 48 hours. And it's just the audio, is that correct, Carol? Or is it the audio and the video? I, I think it's just the audio in the Google Drive. I think the um, yeah. video will be, <clears throat> excuse me, on YouTube eventually. Yes, yes. well, that's um, the next thing I want to say. Little, yeah. but, but right now and through this whole eight weeks, eight weekly uh, uh, meetings that we're having, um, everything's recorded and only available to all of you. It's not available to anybody else. 
only go ahead oh, excuse me um it, it's on the google drive which is uh the link you all should have received in an email along with the zoom link yeah. Yes. So that's why it's only <clears throat> accessible by all of us because we're right. the only ones to get and that. And you're not supposed to give it to other people at this point. Please don't. It's just for this Sangha, this Sangha. Within about two weeks after we're done with all eight of our mini retreats, it will be uh, the, just the, the audio will be on the Mountain Hermitage website available to the general public. Probably not our our the last part of our meetings, our discussion though. Just just the, the this uh, guided sit and the and the dhamma dhamma reflection, and then uh, it will also be on uh, Mountain Hermitage has a YouTube uh, page, and it will go up on YouTube. Both the audio and the uh, video will be up on YouTube around a couple of weeks after uh, we're we're done with our eight weeks and it will be open to the public. But now it's not. So don't please don't share it with other people, that link. It's really, we're keeping our Sangha as a Sangha for these eight meetings. So again, thank you. And have a good week of practice. And I look very much forward to seeing you next Sunday. Bye-bye. Carol, hi. It needs the recording's still going. How do you turn it off? We don't turn it off. We just it goes off by itself once we. Um, why don't I stop recording? Well, that then it won't. She's got it on automatic. Uh, okay. Maybe we shouldn't mess with it. Yeah, well, we it'll it stop recording when we once hang we, up. Once we all go off the screen. Okay. Thank you very much, Carol. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you so much. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.